guys. Hello. Um, yeah, as JP mentioned, my name is Michelle, and I am a full-time um, staff member at New Philly Church. Um, if you've been coming out for a little bit, you might have heard, um, but Emmaus Ministry is kind of part of, is one of the ministries of our church. Um, so I, specifically, I serve um, as a worship leader and at our, we have a house of prayer ministry. It's called Kingdom First Prayer Tabernacle, or K1 for short. So, yeah, I've been uh, leading worship and prayer there and um, serving. And I'm not officially on Emmaus staff, but um, as you have seen, I'm around a lot because I love Emmaus a lot. And um, I love college ministry. Uh, Personally, college ministry holds a very special place in my heart because it's actually how I met Jesus and how I really encountered uh, the love uh, through community. And so it was through a campus uh, ministry called InterVarsity Fellowship. I don't know if any of you have heard of it, but in the States, um, that's what I was a part of. And so whether you're a four, five-year student here or an exchange um, semester or two, I hope you guys know how blessed you are to be here, um, part of this ministry, because it is very special. God is here, and God has been transforming the lives of so many students. And I'm really confident that he will continue to do so this semester and beyond. So consider yourselves blessed and lucky um, to have such amazing people around you as well as leaders. Um, But yeah, today I have the honor of of speaking to you all. Um, And so I want to share actually a message about something that I believe is is foundational in our walk with the Lord. Um, And it's maybe something you guys have heard a lot about, (laughs) but uh, I hope it's a little different aspect of it. And that is the love of God. We actually just sang a lot about it. Um, and yeah, not just about the love of God, but I want to talk about how to receive it. Um, how do we position ourselves to access this love and to receive, um, more of the abundant love of the father, um, to know how much he really loves us. So, um, there's, I'm just going to jump right in. There's two points that I want to highlight. And the first is, um, Removing the filters that we have put on God, um, which means seeing God rightly. Um, it's funny that like JP and I didn't coordinate, Pastor JP and I didn't coordinate any of this, but he was praying through Ephesians 1 and praying, you know, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and that we would see God rightly. And um, yeah, I, I, that's what I want to talk about, seeing God rightly and removing our misconceptions or our maybe our preconceived notions or projections from our past experiences. Um, and this is the first point. So removing the filters we've, we've put on God. And this is the the vertical aspect of love, like us and God, how we see God, how we receive revelation from God. And the second one is, um, vulnerability and confession. And so choosing to be vulnerable and to confess to others. And this is the horizontal aspect, um, experiencing freedom and, and love, um, through community. Yeah. The love of Christ in and through others. So I will explain these two further, but uh, before I do, I just want to take a minute to pray again. Um, so Lord, I, th- I thank you so much for this amazing ministry and these beautiful people, these beautiful children of yours that you have brought, um, to this very room at this very moment on this day, God. Um, we know you're not a God of coincidences and um, of accidents. So I believe, Lord, that each person in this room is here for a reason. Um, so I just pray that, um, yeah, spirit of wisdom and revelation come and speak to our hearts. Speak 
Lord, through me, God, um, the words that you want to hit each person today, I believe that you're a personal God. Uh, You're not a vague, unreachable God, but you're personal. And you desire to encounter each person here today with a personal message of love and revelation. So I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, So yeah, what does it mean to remove the filters that we put on God? Um, I want you to first imagine, this is kind of like a cheesy analogy, but I just came up with it, okay? Um, Imagine that you go to, you're going to a waterfall. I don't know how many of you guys like nature, but imagine you're going to this beautiful waterfall. It's really scenic. It's really nice. And um, you have the option to go in, into the water and to bathe, to be washed clean. And um, what would be the first step you have to do, to take, to do this? You'd have to remove layers of clothing, right? But <laughs> let's say, okay, this is not going where you think it's going. But let's say you first step under, like, let's say you go under that waterfall wearing a waterproof suit, a poncho on top of it, and you bring an umbrella, but then actually the umbrella is going to get crushed by the water. So a steel umbrella and you go, that sounds ridiculous, right? Who would do that? But actually that's what we're doing. That's what it's like when we position ourselves in fear rather than in faith. When we're thinking, what if a rock falls and hits me on my head? What if the water's too cold? What if there's parasites and things in the water um, that could hurt me? Or I've been to other waterfalls before and I've had traumatic experiences, so I don't want to go into this one. Um, I've seen my friend get bitten by some weird creature, so I don't want to go in there. Um, Why would I want to go in and expose myself to these risks, right? But God, our Father, is saying, if you would let me in, if you just let me show you, you'll see that my love is like a waterfall, but it's not like that. It's not what you think. Like, And I'm sorry that you've had to experience those other waters that aren't pure, that aren't perfect, that aren't safe like mine. I'm sorry that, that you've had to, to suffer. I'm sorry you've been fearful because of it. He says, but I can assure you, I can promise you that these waters, they're pure. There's nothing here that's going to harm you. In fact, if you just let it wash over you, it'll even heal you. It, it can refresh you. It can bring you joy. And God says, I'll never stop pouring out. I'll never slow down. I'll never back off. My love's always here, pouring out constantly in full force, not at 80%, not at 99 but 100, maybe 150, 200%. My love doesn't stop whether you're here to see it or not. It doesn't stop whether you choose to come sit under this waterfall or you sit on the sidelines and watch others or you drive off somewhere else. It doesn't stop. It doesn't change the fact that it's real and that it's here. And you may doubt that this waterfall even exists if you haven't seen it or felt it yet. But that doesn't negate or disprove that it does indeed exist. He says, my constant and unfailing loving kindness is always at its fullest. Did you, did you guys know that right now God loves you the most, the most right now in this very moment. But the thing is, it's kind of a paradox because then you might be thinking, well, did he ever love me less than the most? No, he always loves you the most. Like at every single moment of your life. And even before when he thought of you before you were born. He loved you the most. His love is always at full capacity. And 
It's always constant. It's real. And it's meant to be received. It's meant to be enjoyed. And so he's saying, I made this for you to be refreshed, to come, to delight in it, not to fear it. And so God is inviting us to remove those layers of protection, that waterproof suit, those goggles, that umbrella, like that we thought we needed for self-protection and self-preservation. He's kindly and gently assuring us that it's okay. And in the scriptures in um, Isaiah 54, I just want to read through chunks of it, um, the parts that I want to highlight. So you, you guys can just listen. You don't have to turn there. Um, it says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. In righteousness, you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. And if anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me. Amen. God is already pure and perfect. His living waters are pure. His words, his judgments, his thoughts, his actions are all perfect. So we don't need filters. You don't need a filter to filter pure water, right? We put filter, we put filtration systems on impure things. We don't need to filter water that's already pure. You don't need to put an Instagram filter on something that is that that's picture perfect, right? You you guys use that hashtag. Hashtag no filter. <laughs> but that's why that exists, right? When something is so beautiful, it speaks for itself. It's so pure and so beautiful, it speaks for itself. And so God needs hashtag no filter. No filter God. But the thing is, all of us at have some point have applied various filters on how we view God, how we receive his, his words and his love. And why is that? It's because we live in a fallen, sinful world and our, you know, variety of sin induced experiences have shaped the way that we see things and including God. And oftentimes that's to protect ourselves. It's protection mechanisms. And we adjust our filters to make it easier to take things in, to make things palatable, to make things less painful, to make things less ugly. Because we want to reduce the possibility of being disappointed. So we may apply a filter called lowering our standards. And so let me give, me, let me give you a few examples. Your earthly father, maybe he was abusive towards you or towards your family. Perhaps physically, emotionally, verbally. So because of that, maybe you've always had kind of a fear of punishment, a fear of pain. Maybe you thought God the Father could also be like this. So you're guarded in your prayers and your expectations. Because in your experience, one step out of line, and, and maybe you'll be the subject of disproportionate rage and wrath. Because that's all you've known. Or maybe you didn't really grow up with an earthly father. Maybe he abandoned your family when you were young. And you don't want to think God would abandon you. But you can't help but fear that he's forgotten you. Maybe he's moved on to something or someone else more important. He has more important things to do. 
Maybe you don't feel worthy of the love that you were actually created to receive. Or maybe your earthly dad was really passive. He was present, but passive, like super chill guy, not mean, not harsh, but maybe he didn't stand up for you and fight and protect you to give you the best things that you deserve. And because of that, maybe you felt like you had to try really hard to get his attention, to get God's attention, God, the father's attention, whether that's through rebellion or through begging and asking and just kind of assuming that God doesn't want to answer your phone calls, that he thinks you're a burden. But whatever they're like, whatever your filters are, most of us have some kind of filter. And they're not good because God doesn't need filters, right? So how do we recognize what hashtag no filter God looks like? I'd say it's a combination of going to the word of God, the scriptures, and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the nature of God through the word, as well as a daily living out, a a communing with him, a communicating with him, talking to him, getting to know the person of God, because he is a person. He's to be known. He's not just to be read about. He's not just to be talked about like he's not here. He's here right now. He's here. He's there. He's there. He's here, right? And so we actually have to get to know him. And, but as we prayed earlier, Without the spirit of revelation and wisdom, we can't do that. And so um, you'll find, though, that when you ask, when you pray this prayer, he will answer and he will speak to you. Isaiah 54 again, he reveals himself. I'm going to go through the parts that I read through earlier and show you, even just in this passage, how, who God is. Yeah, so it says, the mountains, though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, my unfailing love will not, will not be shaken. Meaning his love is strong and unfailing. It is a hesed love. Hesed is a, is a Hebrew word that's actually kind of hard to directly translate to English, but it kind of means unfailing, charitable love, a loving kindness, mercy. Yeah, and then it says, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Meaning he's our source of peace and he is a promise keeper who never breaks his promises. And then it says, tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed and won't come near you. Meaning he removes fear from us and causes even our attackers and enemies to surrender. And he says, if anyone attacks you, it's not my doing. Which means there's no evil in God. And whoever attacks you will surrender to you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Meaning he is our vindicator and our protector. So even in that small section of scripture, you can see God is showing you who he is. It's it's just that we have trouble trusting it sometimes. (laughs) I know I do. Um, But he's inviting us to trust that he is who he says he is in his word. Yeah. And so instead instead of filtering God's voice and his actions, hear this. Actually... I want to invite you to close your eyes if you want to, if you feel comfortable to, and just receive. In actuality, God the Father is saying this. Hey, I really, really adore you. I love you. I'm watching over you every minute, every second of every day. And there's not a moment that you slip from my mind. I've promised to never leave you never abandon you, to never forget you. 
And I even gave you my spirit to live inside of you so we could be together always for eternity. And I just love your presence. I just love being with you. You don't have to be doing anything. I love you because you're mine. Because I was, a thought, I was the one who thought of creating you. You were my idea. And everything I do is perfect. Everything I do is for your good. My love isn't selfish. I don't tend to my own needs first. I don't tend to other people's needs first. My attention is focused on you. I'm listening to you. I'm protecting you. And everything I do is out of love. I can't stop loving you. And even if you don't ever pay attention to me, even if you reject me, even when you reject me, I can't and I won't stop loving you. I can't look away. And I don't count your wrongs against you. Because I killed all of those wrongs and those sins along with my very own son on the cross. And no matter what you do now, you're accepted. You're in my family, whether you like it or not. But I hope you do like it because it's a really good family. And I've designed it for you to have the time of your life here. I'm the one who invented fun. I'm the reason that any kind of joy, any kind of goodness exists in the world. All good things are from me. And I want you to have all those good things. You can open your eyes. So this is God's real heart. In Romans 8, he tells us that he is Abba Father, to call him Abba Father. And you know, a few weeks ago, I was in Israel. I went to Israel for the first time, just on a personal trip. And it was amazing. Um, But one of my favorite things that I heard while I was walking on the streets in Jerusalem was actually the sound of young Jewish children playing outside and calling out to their dads. Abba, 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 which means daddy or dad in Hebrew. And I know that when I first read the scriptures in Romans 8, I thought, like, I couldn't fully relate, like, connect. Oh, Abba, Father. I've never said Abba before. It's not my mother tongue. To them, it is. So it's like the equivalent of Koreans being like, Appa. Or if you're an English speaker, I don't know what you call your dad. Dad, daddy, pops, papa. Whatever in your mother tongue is the most endearing term for a father, that's what God says to call him. And, yeah, that's what he wants you to call him. So, again, how do we receive God's love, our daddy's love, to the fullest? One, we just talked about removing the filters that we've put on him. And now I want to talk about the second thing, which is vulnerability and confession. Choosing to be vulnerable and to confess to others. As we get to know more of God's true nature and character, unadulterated by our filters, we find that we're safe in him. We find that he's truly our source of every good thing. That he is the one pouring into us so that we can live an abundant life. And even then pour out to others, right? It would be nice to know for sure, like 100% sure, that we'll never be hurt again because of this love and this healing that we get from knowing God. It would be nice to know that. Like from this day forward, when I receive this prayer, the rest of my life, I will not experience pain. (laughs) Like wouldn't that be nice? But we all know that life goes on. 
we all know that people are people and will inevitably continue to hurt others and be hurt by others in some way. But the amazing thing is we don't have to fear that hurt because we are promised an eternal source of love and light, an eternal source of constant healing and comfort. We know the father himself who not only mends our wounds and brings us back to like functioning state, but he fills us up to overflow so that we can even go and mend other people that we can actually bind up other people's wounds too. And that's where we come to the importance of Christ centered community of people around us, of brothers and sisters in faith. How do we know that God designed us for community? There is actually so many scriptures that point to this, but today I just want to highlight one of them. And it comes from the book of James, James chapter five, verses 14 through 16. You can turn there if you'd like, or scroll there if you'd like. Um, it says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person. Well, the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I read through these verses for so long, actually, for years, just kind of skimming through it, without realizing that there's actually two different root words in the Greek for sick. So you may have noticed that um, in verse 14, it says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders to pray, anoint you, right? That word sick in the Greek, I don't actually know Greek. I've never taken it. Maybe Pastor Kate can help me out here, is <laughs> astheneo. <laughs> um, I don't know how to say it, but it means weak, feeble, diseased. Um, and so that's the definition of like what you'd immediately think if I said someone is sick, right? That's the obvious definition. But the next line, it says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And I did think it was weird when I read that. Like, why is James talking about being sick, like ill or diseased? And then he throws in there, oh, and then if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven. Like, what does that have to do with it? And I didn't quite understand that, that linkage or progression. But I realized that the, that word sick there in the Greek is a different word from the first one. The second one is um, kamno. Again, not sure how to say it. But this word means weary, tired, or faint. So not necessarily physically ill or diseased, but weary. And that could mean a weariness of the soul, a restlessness. And then it makes sense when you read it because it says the prayer offered in faith will make the weary or tired or faint person well. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. This implies that sin makes us weary. And isn't that so true though, right? Sin does make us weary. Darkness makes us weary, especially when we keep it in. It does something to us. It wears on our souls. So what is the solution James offers? He says, therefore, confess your sins to God in secret. No, like, although that's obvious, like that's a given. He says, confess to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Healed from the weariness of soul, from the wear and tear caused by sin. So yes, we need each other. And practically, like I mentioned before, we're living in a sinful world. So what happens when we experience pain and sin is that we're tempted to develop layers of self-protection again. That waterproof suit, whatever it is. And those layers are what prevent us from actually 
fully receiving and enjoying God's love, that waterfall, right? They cause us to slowly put filters on God again. So what does it mean to remove these layers of protection, of self-protection? It means opening ourselves up to become vulnerable. And a big aspect of vulnerability is actually confession. And I don't know what connotation that word holds for you guys. I know it wasn't very positive for me for most of my life. Maybe, maybe you squirm a little inside when you hear it. You're like, ah, I don't want to think about what I have to confess. I don't want to think about my unholy thoughts or actions or whatever. Um, it might make us uncomfortable. Or maybe, maybe it, it's just another word for you. Maybe you're numb to it because you've heard about it so many times and it's just something that every good Christian should do. I don't know, but, or maybe, maybe you've had a positive experience and if so, praise God, (laughs) that's amazing. Um, but I want to share about the power of confession because I've experienced this personally and it has set me free. Um, so again, James chapter five, it says, uh, verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So why are we exhorted to confess? Why does James tell us to confess? Is it so that we can be forgiven and saved? No, because the blood of Christ is sufficient. And in believing in him, we're already saved and forgiven, right? So it's not in order to be saved and forgiven. But James says, so that you may be healed. It's actually for our good that we are called to confess. Not because God needs us to. Not because your pastors ask you to. Not because your salvation depends on it or the next person's it's for our good that we confess our sins to each other. As pastor JP mentioned last week, if you were here, there are many sins that we ourselves have committed in our lives and that others have committed against us. And from our childhood until now, many of those are our roots that produce branches and then fruit that are bad, whether that's bitterness, shame, rejection, pride, fear, rebellion, which then leads to all these, a whole slew of behaviors and lifestyles, which are the fruit and mindsets that keep us imprisoned and distanced from the love of God that is rightfully ours. So yes, we've already been forgiven and accepted, but the enemy, he has a way of, of trying to keep us in the dark. We don't want to admit that we're harboring unforgiveness or maybe We admit it, but the enemy convinces us that we have a right to stay bitter. When in reality, the bitterness just eats away at our own souls, keeping us in bondage to it. Maybe it's hard to say that you're actually really jealous and bitter um, because you compare yourself to your best friend, but you don't know who to tell. Or maybe we don't want to admit that we're actually pretty insecure, but we just cover it up by pretending that We know what we're doing and we don't get easily hurt and we're thick-skinned and we're not offendable. We feel exposed in confessing these things, right? We feel fear of judgment from other people. We feel a fear of getting hurt again. In short, we feel vulnerable. But when we choose, even against these fears, to be courageous and vulnerable, we're doing something huge. We are inviting the love of God And the love of community. And who doesn't want to receive more love, right? I know I want to. I want to receive all the love I can get. I know that I need the love of God to sustain me. I'm not going to fool myself 
to thinking, into thinking like I can live a joyful, fruitful, happy life if I just try to keep pouring out and serving and pretending to be a good Christian without being poured into by the genuine, real love of God. So, of course, if I ask you guys right now, who wants to be loved? I'm sure every, almost everyone here would raise your hands, right? But if I ask you, who wants to be vulnerable? Those same hands would probably go down, right? <laughs> but the thing is, vulnerability is what opens us up, opens up the gate for others to actually pour in, to bless, to love, to speak into our lives. I'm not saying go now and share your deepest, darkest secrets and sins to anyone who will listen. That's not what I'm saying. But I believe that as we pray, that God will give us wisdom and discernment to know when to share what with whom. And there are people who are safe to share with, and there are others who might not be. But God gives us wisdom when we ask for it, right? And for one thing, I know you guys have amazing leaders here, um, even just at Emmaus, to go to and to, to process, to share with. They're safe people. This is a safe place. And I'm sure many of you also have trusted friends, right, in your life. The reality is that if we let these fears hold us back from opening up, we remain unable, paralyzed, to receive the fullness of what God has for us. Pastor JP talked about abundant life and our inheritance in Christ last week. How do we access that? By opening up in this way. So we're not only stopping the outflow if we remain closed off, but we're, all, we're actually preventing the inflow, too, of God's love. And God desires to heal all things Redeem all things, touch every area of your life and your heart to uproot every bad root, not just a change of bad behavior. He wants to heal us wholly, like to love us into wholeness. Most of you know that Jesus Christ died a brutal death, not just physically, but taking on the weight of the world's sins to be crucified with it all. And he conquered death. He rose again and he gave us a hope and a promise for resurrection life. And he's coming back someday soon. Jesus is coming back someday soon to restore every wrong thing, to bring perfect justice and peace, have a fully restored kingdom family that we're a part of. So yes, if you accept those things and you believe that in your heart and mind, you are forgiven and saved. But in the meantime, while we wait for his return, in the meantime, before the full restoration of all things, is life just going to be the same? As it is today, tomorrow, the next day. Is it just going to be the same? Except that I know I'm not going to hell. No, that's not what God has for us. He has an inheritance that we talked about last week. That we're saved onto. A life that's so much richer and better and freer than we could imagine. And part of that is being healed of the effects of sin in our lives. So in confessing to each other, we're actually positioning ourselves both vertically before God and horizontally before our, our kingdom family to receive the fullness of God's love. We position ourselves to be reminded of what our true position as a daughter or a son of God is. Right? A co-heir with Christ. We've inherited the fullness of life. We have ownership in his kingdom. It's all good things. It's not condemning. It's not bad. So we're not, when we confess, we're not saying, I'm sorry, I'm such a terrible person because I did this and I thought this. What we're really saying is, hey guys, I keep forgetting who I really am in Christ. I keep forgetting. And so I'm doing things and I'm thinking things that are not in line with that, with who God says I am and who I, I really know deep down that I am. So can you help me? Can you, can you remind me 
of who I really am and pray for me? That's, that's the heart of confession, guys. That's the heart of community. And you see, because sin is inevitable in our fallen world, when we sin or others sin against us, we all need to be reminded again and again and again of our true identity and of our inheritance. And he designed us to remind each other. He designed us to not be in isolation, but to help each other, right? To scrub each other's backs. I don't know if you guys go to Jim Jibong, but like, you know, you can't get your own back. Like, like I need my sisters to come and grab me and pull me under the waterfall when I've been distracted and wandering off doing other things. I need my friends to say, hey, you got some dirt there. Maybe you didn't notice. <laughs> Let me help wash it off. Um, like To help me become more aware of myself, my needs, my strengths, my weaknesses. I need them to pray for me when I'm tired and I'm weak and I'm frustrated. And I don't have anything left in me. The reality is I'm going to hurt those who are closest to me. So I need to confess and apologize to ask for forgiveness because each time we sin against each other, we create another wound. And then after that, it's our choice to keep either keep that wound wrapped up in, in my own gauze and my ointment and I, that I treated myself with or to unwrap it and believe that it can actually be healed in community way faster through confession and vulnerability and the healing waters of God's grace and love. And so the more we open up and we do choose to share, the easier it gets. Believe me, it does. <laughs> and the more victory and healing we achieve in the process. We weren't meant to just walk alone and confess our sins privately to God and pray privately in our devotional times. And It's a both and. Yes, that, that is important. It's crucial. But we're called to worship together. We're called to he, hold each other accountable and confess and share, process and pray for each other. And to let love in. So it does take courage, guys. It does. But we can all do it. Because I know if I can do it, you can do it. Um, And really, I wish that I knew what I'm sharing with you guys. I really wish I knew it in college. Like, I really wish that someone told me back when I was in college. Because I kept myself in the dark for so long. And kept trying to protect myself out of fear. So let me actually share a story from my college days. This is some juicy stuff that even uh, Pastor Kate and Pastor JP might not know. Um, <laughs> so my, my first year, well, some of you are waking up now. My first year, first semester, I was, <laughs> it's not that exciting. I was excited to be finally away from home. So I grew up in New Jersey. I was born in New York, grew up in Jersey. And I went down south to North Carolina for college, purposefully very far away. Um, and that's, a, that's another long backstory. You guys can ask me another time. Um, I'm very happy to share that. But basically, I was born into a church, the church, and I was partially raised in it, but I wasn't allowed to go to church in high school. Um, I was told to focus on my studies instead. I was also depressed, purposeless. I had suicidal thoughts. It was a very dark place due to a lot of strife and pressure at home, due to my own sin as well to my emotional and mental abuse that I endured. Um, And so I went to college very broken and very desperate to find God because I felt like, man, if there's no hope in God or the church, I don't know. Like, that's that's my last hope. And because somehow by God's grace, at least part of me believed that he was real. At least part of me believed, like, yeah, God's real. Like, I'll find hope in the church. And so maybe I'll find freedom and hope. 
Got, so I got plugged in immediately in college, by God's grace, to InterVarsity, which, which I mentioned earlier. And so through that, my hunger, my joy, it grew because I was experiencing God's love and community for the first time. But I was still also under a lot of pressure, intense pressure, even though it was from afar, um, to perform well, like pressure for, parental pressure, to perform and get good grades so that I could apply to medical school. But the thing is, medical school was not my dream. It wasn't my passion. I was, I was not passionate about it. It was um, something that I didn't have a choice in, though. So one weekend, I was studying for one of my pre-med course exams, and I was very sick with strep throat, actually. Um, and I was also already struggling in this class. And so I asked the professor for an extension so I could recover and study a bit more. I went to take the exam a few days later, and I sat, and I started taking the exam, and you guys, in a moment of weakness and desperation, because the professor was in another room, I slipped out some notes, and I started cheating. Ooh. <laughs> well, a scary thing happened, because I actually got caught. The professor walked around me, like, behind me, and I, and I was like, oh my gosh. And so... I had to go through, long story short, I had to go through a hearing with the, like, the honor council at school or whatever. And then I was, I was suspended for two semesters. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Juicy stuff. Okay. So this was midway. <laughs> this was midway through my first semester of college. First semester. But the thing is, I was so ashamed of myself, and I was so scared that I couldn't even, I couldn't even admit it to myself. Like, I couldn't even tell myself, you did this. This was your wrong. You sinned. <laughs> it was your fault. But I twisted the story somehow in my mind and to other people, that and even to my friends, my Christian community, my family, I made it seem like it wasn't my fault, that I was, like, falsely accused. So the crazy thing is, that even when I feared punishment, I did all of those things out of fear, right? Held it all in and was so ashamed. God, oh my goodness, he was so patient and loving. Because even while I sinned and I remained in fear and sin with all these filters and protective layers, he kept loving me. Like he used my stepmother who was very much against all my church activities and involvement um, to send me on my very first mission trip to Honduras during my suspension. <laughs> so it wasn't for Christian reasons, though. It was like, oh, you got to learn and see, how, you know, poverty in the world and be, a, you know, a better person and, you know, like do some volunteer service and, and boost your resume. So nevertheless, God used it in his mercy and grace. He used one of my biggest most shameful failures of my life to kickstart and launch me into my destiny. Isn't that crazy? As a, my destiny as a missionary and a minister, as you can see today, that's what I am. And that is a display of, of God's has said love of his unfailing loving kindness, his mercy. And he didn't force me. God didn't force me to confess it during that time either. When I wasn't ready, when I was still so, you know, in shame and fear. And I served six months in Honduras, actually. And, um, and then I was re- readmitted. I had to reapply. So I got back into my school. And then I was involved again, serving in ministry. 
And about a year or two later, I can't remember when, there's a week that I was scheduled to share my testimony with my girls' small group that I was like co-leading. And I prayed about what to share. And I felt the Holy Spirit nudging me (laughs) to confess the real story of what happened. Um, And at this point, I I don't think I had really shared it with anyone. Pretty sure. Yeah. And so for several days, I wrestled. I wrestled really hard because I had such fear, but also conviction from Holy Spirit. And I was like, ah, God, really? Do I have to do this? But then my heart would like beat so fast and I knew that I had to do it. So finally I decided to share. And guess what? The ladies in my small group, they didn't judge me. (laughs) They were understanding (laughs) and supportive and loving. So that was like my first level of, of healing and through confession and then, uh, and then I shared a couple years later, uh, and along the way, people here and there, but with some friends uh, from another mission trip. And this time, the sharing got easier, and I felt greater freedom. And I really thought, okay, cool, I think I'm free, I'm, I'm done with that, right? And then God called me to Korea in 2014, so I came to Korea, and during my first few months, I felt like God randomly bring this incident back up again. And I couldn't, I didn't know why, and for some reason, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was that same feeling of conviction. I'm like, but, but God, I dealt with it already. I already confessed it. Like, I don't understand. And I would toss and turn in bed, literally, wonder what I'm supposed to do with this. If it was just Satan accusing me when I was already free. But eventually, I actually felt convicted to confess and apologize to everyone in my Christian fellowship that I had lied to. So... Being in Korea years later after this, I got the incident, I didn't know what else to do but write an email. So I sat and I composed an email addressing it to every single person I could think of who was in that large group room because we, we had large groups as well. Um, and I had shared it with them there. And so I confessed and I apologized. I asked for their forgiveness. It was one of the hardest things I had to do to that day. And But once I sent it and I just released it, there was so much freedom. And like... That was another level of freedom. And, and then even more healing once I started getting responses. Most people responded very positively, saying like, oh, you're so bold for sharing, thank you, or thanks for your vulnerability and your honesty, or oh, I forgot about that, but okay. Um, or like, of course I forgive you, yeah. And then there was one not-so-positive response, but it didn't really affect me because I knew my identity well by then, more, like better by then. So I knew I wasn't, um, it wasn't coming from a place of God's love. So I didn't have to receive those words. So I didn't. And so I could have been angry that God convicted me to confess, even after I'd already confessed. But I now know that he was after my heart. He wanted to heal me. It was, remember, why do we confess? For our good, for our healing. And he wanted to show me how unconditionally loved I am by him and how accepted I still am by my brothers and sisters too. He wanted to set me free and he wanted to set others free through it. And God has had me on a tight leash for sure. Cause I know plenty of people who've cheated, but they never got caught. <laughs> but I'm like, man, the one time I did in college, like what the, <laughs> but you know, I'm not, I'm not upset about it because God disciplines those he loves and everything he did was mercy and loving kindness, right? He's only been redeeming and restoring my life through this incident. And so I give him all the praise for allowing me to experience firsthand the power of confession that I can even share it with you guys today. And I know each of us in this room has struggles of various kinds, 
things that we have trouble sharing for whatever reason, things that maybe we've done in the past, gone through in the past, or maybe currently. We all need more of his love. And none of us has received the fullness of God's love. None of us has yet fully received his love perfectly. And we won't really until we go to heaven or until Jesus comes back and we're in perfect union with him and restoration, right, to him. But until then, we're invited into greater and greater revelations of his love through surrender and confession. Because he is perfect. He is perfect and his love is perfect and his perfect love drives out all fear. So I actually want to take some time to um, just pray for you guys right now. Um, We're not going to do... Can we hit the lights maybe? Um, We're not going to do like an altar call or anything. Um, I'm not going to ask the leaders to come up. But actually, I just want to take this time to allow you guys to receive. This is an open invitation to encounter the love of God. And I'm I'm just going to pray and maybe even sing over you guys. I want you to take this time to just talk to God. Meet with him. And in your own words, to sincerely ask him to remove those filters. Reveal himself to you. Maybe confess that you want to remove the the self-protective layers, but you don't know how. And just receive his love. If there's fear or apprehension in your heart, just be honest about those things too. Be real with him. Just talk to him. Father, I thank you for your loving kindness. Abba, Father, thank you for your kindness and your love that leads us to repentance. That you are the one that gives us courage to open up, to receive more, to let love in. And God, we confess right now that we've put filters on you and hearing you and viewing you, receiving from you. And that's not fair to you because you're perfect and you're pure. And you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. You just are. But God, we want to know that for ourselves. We want to experience that for ourselves We want to know the love of God for ourselves. We don't want to just hear about it. We don't want to just hear other people's testimonies. We don't want to just see our friends or our leaders being on fire, talking about things and testifying, but wonder, am I ever going to experience that? Am I ever going to know God's love like that? It is for you. It's for you. It's for each of us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you offered yourself so freely that you give us full access to your heart, God. You give us full access to the riches of the kingdom that you said that we are your sons and daughters. 
And you invite us in and you say, come feast with me. Come, you who have no money, come, eat, drink, feast with me. I have it all set up for you. I have it all prepared for you. All you have to do is come and receive.